I want you to imagine with me a pharmaceutical company that comes up with a cure for cancer. And the thing is about this drug, it is an absolute miracle drug. You take one pill, and within 24 hours, you are completely healed of cancer. Any type. Breast cancer, thyroid cancer, pancreatic cancer, lung cancer, earlobe cancer. I mean, you name it, this pill can cure it. However, this pharmaceutical company has a board. They got together in the boardroom, and they began to crunch the numbers. And they realized that if they released this drug it would actually cause them a loss in profits. Because this company also produced the chemotherapy drugs that were used in the majority of hospitals. And their miracle drug was a one-and-done deal, whereas chemotherapy was repeated over and over and over, and they would make so much more money with the chemotherapy drugs than they would with the cancer pill. And so therefore, they decided to keep their miracle drug quiet so that they could continue to make millions. So how do you feel? By, by the way, I've totally made this up. I learned yesterday, however, that there are people who believe this is actually a true story. I got online, I was looking for some, you know, some images to use, and I stumbled upon, like, there's people who really believe this is true. All right, so maybe you think this is true. I thought I'm making it all up, all right? So if I turn out to be a prophet, it's an accident, all right? But how would you feel if you did learn it was true? Suddenly, you know, Time Magazine, you know, has this big expose and this whole scandal breaks. Would you just be a little frustrated? Oh, man, isn't that just like Americans? Just want money, not caring for people, and then you just go on with life? Or are you just apathetic? Like, who cares? No, chances are you would be irate. You would be upset because they could have saved your dad. They could have helped your mom. They could have saved your best friend. But because they went after millions of dollars, they let millions of people die. The thing is, there are days when I am the pharmaceutical company. And if you follow Jesus, there's probably days when you are the pharmaceutical company. Because if you claim to follow Jesus, then you have the gospel. As we've been seeing in this series, putting go back in the gospel, we're seeing the, the gospel is the ongoing story of God taking broken and, re, uh, broken and imperfect people and restoring them into the perfect and complete image of Jesus. This is good news. It's a cure for sin. Because as evil as cancer is, sin is worse. Because cancer will kill your body, but sin infects your soul. Cancer can remove you from this earth, but sin removes you from God. But God gave a cure. He gave Jesus. Jesus went to a cross and paid the penalty for sin. And so the effects, the power, the authority of sin was broken, and the authority was given to Jesus. And if you follow Jesus, then you have this gospel message. But why in the world would you just keep it to yourself. If you are, you're being like a pharmaceutical company. Today, we're going to be seeing the very words of Jesus and how if you follow Jesus, you are commanded to go. You don't have an option. You have to share the truth of Jesus. But the thing is, this is not a threat. 
by Jesus. It's actually an invitation. It's into something good. Because how much fun would it be for you to see God use you to help someone be cured of their sin and their lives changed forever? So, Father, I just pray right now that you would help the words that come out of my mouth to be in accordance with Scripture, that this would be about what you want to say, not just what I want to say. Would you open our hearts and our ears to hear what you have for us? Because, God, I will confess I am not the greatest at fulfilling this command of of going and, and fulfilling the Great Commission and helping people really truly find you. But, God, this is what you've called us to. Those that know you, that our identity is in you, you command us to help people find Jesus. And so, Father, would you convict our hearts? Would you change our ways? Would you give us the guts to do what you call us to do? And may we actually have fun doing it. So prepare us, Father, for what you have for us today. In Jesus' name I ask. Amen. All right. If you have a Bible, go ahead and open it up. We're going to be in our key passage today. We've alluded to Matthew 28. We've had it in the intro video each week. But today we're actually going to study through it. As you're turning to Matthew chapter 28, uh, by the way, Matthew's the first book of the New Testament, if you're trying to find it. I just want to say that if you do not have faith in Jesus yet, I want you to know you are, I'm glad you're here. You are welcome to listen in, all right? I don't want you to feel like I'm not talking to you, because today we're going to be talking a lot to people who say, yes, I follow Jesus. And so much of what we're going to hear is a command to them. So if you don't follow Jesus yet, this is not a command for you. All right? Now, by all means, if you happen to get into a conversation with someone at work and you're like, yeah, at church they're talking about, you know, Jesus and that, here's the Jesus story, you can share it. You're just not commanded to. I, I have a friend who's now a pastor. I just reconnected with him recently. He's now pastoring up in Seattle, just moved there recently. He came to know who Jesus was through an atheistic professor in college. It was a world, uh, like a worldview, different histories and, and religions. And one of the things that they had to do was read different religious texts. And this professor really went after the Bible, trying to prove it all wrong. But in the process, it helped my friend Jesse find Jesus, began to follow him, and now here he is pastoring, and he's a phenomenal pastor and preacher, all because God used an atheistic professor. So if you're not a follower of Jesus, you might actually help someone find to follow Jesus. But if you are here today because you follow Jesus, then guess what? You don't have an option. And we're going to see that very, very clearly. And so that's why we need to really lean in and see these words. The problem with this is the Great Commission is used over and over and over. I've heard this preached bunches of times. And when you hear something repeatedly, sometimes your ears get a little calloused. You're like, ah, I already know this. Today, I want you to throw that off, and I want you to look at it anew and afresh, because maybe God is saying, I want you to get this, because I want you to live this. I don't want you to be a pharmaceutical company. I want you to help people find life. So let's lean in, and let's listen. Matthew 28, we're going to start in verse 16. Now, the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. 
Now, these words are stated by the resurrected Jesus, right? He's already been to the cross. He's died. He's been in the tomb for a couple of days. He came bursting forth on Easter Sunday, which we're going to celebrate next week. So this is Jesus during those 40 days that, between his resurrection and his ascension that we see in Acts chapter 1. We don't hear a lot of that, what he did. He mostly just hung out with his disciples. We know that there was, you know, probably this time maybe about 120 disciples. You know, there's his 12 key apostles, 120 disciples with him. We know that at least 500 people saw him after his resurrection. Paul tells us that in Corinthians. But we don't know exactly what his last words were. But these are among them. Right? He's standing on a mountain in Galilee where he did a lot of his ministry, and he's telling his guys, hey, here's what I've got for you. Now, they don't quite know it, I don't think, at this point, but they probably are sensing it, that Jesus is going to ascend to heaven. He's going to leave them, and he's leaving the ministry to them. So he's like, hey, guys, you watched me for three years. You saw what I did. You saw how I loved. Now you are going to go and do this. So these are some of his last words. Have you ever realized just how important last words are? Forgive me for being morbid for a second, but I want you to imagine that you got into a car accident, and it's just you and your spouse in the vehicle. And you, a semi crosses over the median, hits your side, you were driving, your spouse is going to be fine, but you are sitting there and you realize, I'm not going to make it. And you look over at your spouse and you say, hey, don't forget to pick up the kids after school. And oh, be sure to swing by the grocery store. We're out of bread and some milk. So on your way to the hospital, would you swing by and get that? No, you wouldn't say, okay, my wife's saying that would be her. Right? But other people would probably say, hey, I don't think I'm going to make it. You might say, I- I'm scared. I don't want to go. But you'd probably look at them and say, I love you. Thank you for the life you gave me. I'm sorry for the ways I hurt you. Let the kids know how much I love them. Last words are important. And if these are some of the last words of Jesus, we can't just let our hearts and ears be callous to him because we've just heard him a bunch of times. Instead, you've got to lean in and say, okay, if Jesus is saying, guys, I'm about to take off, these are some of my last words, so listen in. So that's why today we're going to go phrase by phrase through this to see what is Jesus really saying and therefore what does that mean we need to do because Jesus was saying this not only to his immediate followers right then and there, These words extend to all of his followers. And so if you say, yes, I follow Jesus, then this is for you. So we'll pick it up here in verse 18. The first phrase we see is that all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. This means Jesus is in control. Jesus is king. He's over it all. And it's not just like he's in his throne in heaven overseeing heaven. No, he's over even the things of earth. If you think of like a uh, political kingdom, you know, your king is over it, but he doesn't, you know, like there, there are things that happen within his kingdom that the king may not approve of, but it doesn't mean he's not sovereign over it. It doesn't mean he's not in authority. And, and so we may see evil in our world, but we can't let it lead us to believe that, well, that clearly God's not in control. He, he must not be powerful enough. No, Jesus is in authority over it all. This should actually give us courage. This should give us some confidence. Because as we're going to see, we're supposed to go. It means that there's nowhere that you can go that Jesus has not already been, and there's no one you're going to interact with that he does not already know. He's over it all. He's in authority. 
And so this should actually give us some confidence. But it also reminds us, if he's an authority, if he's the king, that means we've got to listen and we have to obey. And what is the command that he gives us? It's right there. Go. Go therefore. The therefore is basically like because. Because I'm the king, I now command you, my servant, my follower, my friend, go. And the word go there can be translated as you are going. We, we've talked about this before. It's, it's, it's this idea that as you're going to work, as you're going home, as you're going to hang out with your friends, as you're going to your kid's sporting event, you are to be going as an ambassador. You are tied. You are connected with this king. And so your faith in Jesus should not just be this side thing, a Sunday thing. It's to be an everyday thing. That as you are getting up, wearing your pajamas, as you take the kids to school, you are still going as an ambassador for Jesus, even though you don't feel like you're dressed up for it. You are always representing Christ. He's your king so it's as you are going through life. And if you go over to Acts chapter 1, you see Jesus describe some of this as you are going. Where? It's as you're going to your Jerusalem, your, your local context. As you go to your uh, surrounding area, to, to Iowa, you know, he called it Judea for them. As you go to Samaria, Samaria was the area where there were these half-Jews. They were different than them. So go to those who are different than you, and even to the ends of the earth. And so yes, to go... To obey this command means that for some people, they must head somewhere. God puts it on their heart. There's a people group he puts close to them, and so they have to go there. But it also means you have to go here because it's as you are going. This isn't relegated to some professional Christian or someone who has the ability to raise a bunch of money to support themselves. No, if you proclaim the name of Jesus, this is a command for you. Go therefore. Now, what is it you're supposed to go and do? The next phrase is to make disciples. Make disciples. The word disciple, we don't use that a lot here at Riverwood because I, I think a lot of people in our world don't quite know what is a disciple. That's why we use the idea of being a Jesus follower. All right, we, When we were kids, we all played follow the leader. And so we'd get behind the leader and we'd follow and whatever they do, we'd do. And so we understand the idea of following. So that's why for us, the de definition of a disciple, of a Jesus follower, is someone who loves like Jesus loved, lives like Jesus lived, and leaves behind what Jesus left behind. That's what it means to follow. All right? So that's being a disciple. Notice where he says where we make these disciples. He says all nations. Now, the word nations there can be translated people groups. It, it means tribes. And I think that's probably a little better idea because when I hear the word nation— I think of like political, geographical boundaries, right? But if you just think even in the United States, we are not all the same, right? Head down to deep Mississippi and compare the way they talk to people in extreme northern, I don't know, Minnesota or, or North Dakota, right? It, there's some differences, right? Go out to Seattle, notice how they handle time compared to like how they do it in D.C., right? You're going to notice differences, they may all speak English, and yet you notice there's different, almost in a sense, people groups. Now, head over to Africa. You could have a country that, you know, has political boundaries, and just within it, there could be 12 different languages recognized. You'd have these different races. To us, we'd look at it and say, well, they kind of all look the same, and yet they act completely different. And so we need to not see this as, oh, well, we've got a church in Kenya. Yeah, 
but do all 80 people groups within Kenya have the gospel? That's what we need to start seeing. This is about people groups. So this means the gospel is to go to all tongues, tribes, nations. It's to go to all races. All people matter to God. We are all made in the image of God. And so that's why we go to them, to show God's love for them. And we go to them. But it also means that we have to go and reach the people right around us. Because even in here in Waverly, Iowa, there are different people groups. And we are to love them, treat them equally. We don't see others as better than someone else. We, we try to reach them all. It's as we are going about our world, we're making disciples of all nations, including the nations, the people groups that God's put right around us now. All right? So that's the phrase there. All right, so notice, though, you can never make someone do anything. Right? Jesus tells us to make disciples. <laughs> but if you have kids, you know you can't make them do it. I mean, when they're really little, you can make them do it, but their heart's not there. Right? That's why at Riverwood, we use the word invite. We want to invite people. We invite people to our worship gatherings. We invite people to our growth group. We invite people to come and serve with us. We also invite people to find Jesus and to follow Jesus. So it's a culture of invitation. And as we invite you, then you let God do what only he can do. I like the way I heard one pastor say it, is that you are responsible for the ask, but God is responsible for the answer. You can't make anyone follow Jesus. You can't make someone see the reality of the gospel. But you can live it out. You can use words. You can invite. Then you let just God do what only he can do. So, you can't make him do it. Invite. But then, sometimes you invite someone to find Jesus, and they actually say yes. What do you do then? Right? The key phrase in this whole thing is make disciples, and there are three verbs attached to it. We've already seen one, go. That's one of the actions. Now we see two actions, and these are for the two, for the person that actually says yes to following Jesus. The first one we see is baptizing them. Right? The word baptism in the Greek has connotations of identity. Like if you take a cloth and you baptize it and dye, it radically changes it. It's no longer just white cloth. It will become red, all right? Its identity changes. And so if you understand the Jesus story, that his death on a cross was for the forgiveness of your sins, you identify with that. You are then to be baptized, to identify with his death, burial, and resurrection. That's why at Riverwood, we do what many people would call believer's baptism. We, we uh, you know, when someone says, this is what I identify with, to mark that, we let them be baptized, going fully immersed into the water. The book of Romans talks about being buried with Christ and raised to newness of life. And so that's what we try to live out. And so if you place your faith in Jesus, you should be baptized. It's, it's the first thing because it's about identity, right? The baptism itself doesn't save you, all right? Notice, they're making disciples, so they believe they're going to follow Jesus, but it's identity. Just like uh, a wedding ring. You know, I take this off, I'm still married, but this ring signifies that I'm connected to someone else, and that's what baptism does. It says I'm connected with someone else, and, and to help that you see that, Jesus says your identity changes, your name changes, because you're baptized in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And what I love about this is, notice, name is singular. One name, and yet it's three. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We follow a triune God. Sometimes as we, here at Riverwood, we talk so much about Jesus because he was the, the person of God who, I mean, comes down and takes on human flesh. 
And so this is why we talk so much about Jesus. He's the one who went and died for us. But we can't forget Jesus is the Son. He's part of this trinity. And this is our identity. We are connected to this Father, Son, Holy Spirit, because it's the Father who creates us. It's Jesus who died for us. It's the Holy Spirit who indwells within us. And so when we're baptized, we take on this name of this triune God. Just like a wife takes on the name of her husband, her identity changes. Or when a child comes out of the womb, he or she will take on the name of their parents. It's about identity. And so we take on the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit when we were baptized. But not only are we to be baptized, the next phrase is that we are to teach them. What are we to teach them? To observe, or another way you could put it is to obey all that I have commanded you. What was it that Jesus commanded us to do? Oh, when Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandment? He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. So that means your life is now no longer your own. You're no longer your own leader. You are to live for love for God. You live and surrender to him. So you live for the glory of God. You want to love like Jesus loved. And yet, he said, the second is like it, that you then also, uh, sorry, that you love others like yourself. And so it's living like Jesus lived for the glory of God, and it's loving others like Jesus would love them. So this is the commands that he's given us. We're to give grace to people, yet we're to lean on truth for the glory of God. It's our life, our identity is now for God. So we're no longer for ourselves. We are now living for something greater. And that comes out in implications of how we interact within our marriages, in our parenting, at work. It affects it all. That's why at Riverwood, we just continually, at our worship gatherings, and our growth groups, continue to study the scriptures. We continue to look at this gospel. It's continuing to teach ourselves to obey, to observe all that Jesus commanded. And we believe that all that Jesus commanded isn't just contained within the red letters. It's within all the 66 books of the scriptures. So this is what we do. This is, it's continuing to grow. And that's what we want to do, is as you see someone find Jesus, you want to help them continue to follow him, continue to go deeper in a relationship with him, to grow spiritually. But how do you do this? Like, how do you make that invitation? How do you see someone actually begin to follow him? This is where it gets awkward, because we sometimes feel strange. You know, we, we don't want to share the gospel because maybe we're embarrassed by it. I mean, think about it. This is kind of a crazy story. We believe in a triune God where the second part of this trinity takes on human flesh, lives a completely sinless life, even though no other human has lived sinlessly, and yet he goes and dies on the cross, a brutal death that's supposed to be in place of us. It, it kind of doesn't make sense. It, it's, it's crazy. It sounds like mythology. And so sometimes we don't share it because we're, we just feel a little embarrassed by the story. Or, or maybe we don't share it because we had a bad experience. We, we don't share it because maybe we heard some evil, cruel things said about Christians. I remember when I was 16, I was working at a uh, hotel. I was working at a busboy in their restaurant. And I typically did not work Sundays because I often was going to church. Sometimes I'd leave and go and work the noon hour right after uh, the worship time. But this particular Sunday, they had a big event, and so they needed me there. So I agreed to come. So I'm, I'm working, and as I'm working, I'm, I'm standing behind the counter. I'm kind of waiting for, you know, some people to finish eating, and I'm going to go clear their table. And all of a sudden, one of the waitresses looks out the window. And she says, oh, there's one of those born-againers. I'm like, huh? She just begins to go off about some lady, how she can't stand her, and just, oh, it, it was kind of vile stuff. And I look out the window, and I realize 
that's my church family coming to the hotel pool to do a baptism. So you think I was just launching into a gospel presentation in that moment? No. I was scared because I thought, oh, I don't want to be known as one of those born-againers. And so you don't share. You don't say anything because, oh, people don't like it. Or maybe we don't share because it, it feels like, I don't know, you're a used car salesman. And I'm sorry if any of you are used car salesmen. But, you know, you feel like, if, you know, they use underhanded tactics or they're using deceit or it's like hook and bait type things. And, and it doesn't feel authentic. And so we don't do it because we don't want to be lumped into that sort of category. You know, I, I'm not a pushy type person. I don't want to force anyone to do anything. And, and so sometimes it's out of being nice that you don't share. Or maybe we just have really bad theology. <laughs> maybe we think that, well, God's a good God. You know, he, he'll, he'll, you know, my aunt's a really good person, so surely God wouldn't let her go to hell. I mean, he'll, he'll save her. I mean, she's a good person. And, and so we don't share because, you know, well, God's just good. We have all sorts of reasons. And yet, as you've heard, you must share. You are commanded. It is not an option. This was not a suggestion. Jesus wasn't just going, guys, I got a good idea. No, this is a command. Just as he came to earth, the Father said, go. So Jesus now turns to us and says, just as the Father sent me, so I send you. Go. Go, therefore, and make disciples. And so sometimes Christians, in their desire to want to fulfill this commandment, they've come up with different tools, different presentation techniques. I'm going to give you one today. However, before I do, I want to say this. I do not want you turning this into just some slick presentation because someone saying yes to following Jesus is not dependent upon how well you present it. We are to love people, and one of the ways we love them is to share this truth with them. Now, it isn't just with words. As we saw last week, we are to share our life. That means we're sharing an action but it also means we can't only do it in action. Sometimes we share it in words. But my belief is that if you are deeply in love with Jesus, you're making this the most important thing in your life, it's just going to naturally spill out. You know, like right now, you know, Hawkeye fans are not having any problem talking about their basketball team. You know, they're all excited that they made it to the second round because it doesn't happen very often for us in Iowa. You know, so they could talk about it. It's, it's easy. It's natural. You, you go to a movie. You see a great movie. It's natural to talk about it. If you have this deep love for Jesus, it should be natural to talk about it. And what I think you should do when you share the gospel is you really just share three stories. Really what you're doing is you're just sharing the Jesus story. You're sharing that God created humanity in his image, but that mankind sinned and walked away from God, that we rebelled, and that brought sin in and separated us from God. We we're spiritually disconnected. But that God, in his love for us, created the cure. He created the path for reconnection, and that was through Jesus. And so you just share the Jesus story, but then you share your story. You say, so this is what this means to me. This is how this has affected my life. And, and for some of you, you've come to Jesus later in life. You can talk about what life was like before you knew Christ and talk about what it's like now that you follow him. Some of you, you grew up in church. This story's been a part of your life the whole time, and yet your story is still just as miraculous. You can still talk about what Jesus means to you and how it's help, helping you and impacting you today. So you're sharing Jesus' story, you're sharing your story, and then you just ask questions and you get to know their story. 
You just have a conversation. Get to know them. Listen to them. We talked about this last week. One of the, most ways, one of the greatest ways you can love them is to just listen with your eyes and your ears, to be fully present with them. Ask them questions. Get to know them. Show them you care. Because then maybe you'll understand how the gospel speaks into their story. And then you can invite them into the Jesus story. And so with that said, I am going to share with you one um, tool, if you will. Because this tool kind of does that. It kind of creates this opportunity for you to share these three stories. It, it, It tells you to share the Jesus story. It creates an opportunity to share some of your story. And there's also a chance and a way for you to ask them kind of their story. But it it very clearly shows the gospel. So I'm going to show you a video. But as you watch it, I want you to be asking yourself, could I do that? Because if you would say, oh, I don't know that I could do that in an authentic way, then this tool is not for you. But if you watch this and you're like, yeah, that makes sense. That seems natural. Then it'd be easy. If you're out at lunch with a friend, Somehow this starts coming up, and you say, you know what? We were just talking about this. My, a friend showed me this. And you pull over a napkin, and you begin to draw this out. And so what I want you to watch is the three circles method. We live in a broken world, surrounded by broken lives, broken relationships, and broken systems. This brokenness is seen in suffering, violence, poverty, pain, and death around us. Brokenness leads us to search for a way to make life work. In contrast to this brokenness, we also see beauty, purpose, and evidence of design around us. The Bible tells us that God originally planned a world that worked perfectly, where everything and everyone fit together in harmony. God made each of us with a purpose, to worship Him and walk with Him. Life doesn't work when we ignore God and His original design for our lives. We selfishly insist on doing things our own way. The Bible calls this sin. We all sin and distort the original design. The consequence of our sin is separation from God in this life and for all of eternity. Sin leads to a place of brokenness. We see this all around us and in our own lives as well. When we realize life is not working, we begin to look for a way out. We tend to go in many directions, trying different things to figure it out on our own. Brokenness leads to a place of realizing a need for something greater. At this point, we need a remedy, some good news. Because of his love, God did not leave us in our brokenness. Jesus, God in human flesh, came to us and lived perfectly according to God's design. Jesus came to rescue us, to do for us what we could not do for ourselves. He took our sin and shame to the cross, paying the penalty of our sin by his death. Jesus was then raised from the dead, to provide the only way for us to be rescued and restored to a relationship with God. This is the good news. This is the gospel. Simply hearing this good news is not enough. We must admit our sinful brokenness and stop trusting in ourselves. We don't have the power to escape this brokenness on our own. We need to be rescued. We must ask God to forgive us, turning from sin to trust only in Jesus. This is what it means to repent and believe. Believing, we receive new life through Jesus and God turns our lives in a new direction. When God restores our relationship to him, we begin to discover meaning and purpose in a broken world. Now we can pursue God's design in all areas of our lives. Even when we fail, we understand God's pathway to be restored. 
the same good news of Jesus. God's Spirit empowers us to recover His design and assures us of His presence in this life and for all of eternity. So right now, uh, Nate's going to hand out uh, some little booklets that has this in it. Um, You totally can just kind of use this, keep it for yourself. You could take someone through it. You could study it so that you could draw that out. They also make an app. If you just head either to the Android or uh, iOS app store, look for Life on Mission. And the very thing you just saw in the video is also in uh, app form, and, and it's right there in that little booklet. Right, and so all you do on the app is you just can swipe it uh, to the side if I can learn to swipe. Okay, and it's the very thing that you just saw. So as you as you swipe, it just keeps drawing each next element. Okay, so this is this is just a way. Again, only do this though if this is natural for you. Do not do this if it's going to come across as some presentation where you're trying to sell them something. You, you're not. You're just inviting them to find and follow Jesus. It's going to change everything. It's going to change their identity. It's going to change their purpose. It's important. This is the cure for sin. But this is that matters. So if you doing this feels fake, it doesn't feel natural, then please put the booklet away and just be yourself. If Jesus has changed your life, just share your story, share the Jesus story, and you let God open their eyes and see how they can come in with their story. But if this feels good, if this feels natural, then do it. I could do this because much of the language in this three-circle method fits with just who Riverwood is and who I am. Because it's talking about God's design. It's talking about our brokenness, how the gospel comes to that, speaks to that. It's about restoration. It uses much of the same language that I use. And so that's why, by the way, Jeff is the one who introduced this to me. Uh, right shortly after he moved to Waverly, he was living with us for a couple of weeks. Uh, I was telling him, here's where I'm going in the series. And he's like, have you seen this? And he had these in his truck, and he pulls these out, and he's showing me the app, and I'm like, this fits perfectly, all right? It just, I have not adopted my language to fit this. It's just that I found a tool that fits kind of who I am and who Riverwood is. So if you can take this and use it, please do. If it doesn't feel natural, don't, because it's ultimately just sharing your story, sharing Jesus' story, and getting to know their story. That's far more important, and just love them. Sometimes I think our presentations don't feel like love. It feels like a task or treating them like a project. That's not true. They are a human being that God loves, that Jesus died for, and if they're spiritually disconnected, they need the remedy. They need the cure. They need the gospel. So let us not be a pharmaceutical company that keeps it hidden for whatever reason. Instead, Let us be the people that shares the truth, that shares the gospel. Let us share it through our actions, but let us also share it through our words. Let's love someone enough to invite them to find Jesus and follow him, because we might get the joy of seeing God open their eyes and their lives changed, because there truly is nothing better than that. And so let us go and be a blessing. Let us go and invite people to find Jesus. So, Father, I pray that you would empower us, you would help us to do this, because this is important. Uh, as, as horrible as cancer is, sin is worse, and sometimes we miss that. We get so caught up in the physical sense of this world around us uh, that we ignore the spiritual reality, that there are people who are spiritually disconnected, 
Some of them know it. They feel it in their marriage. They feel it in their parenting. They feel it at work. They just feel it throughout life. And they're looking for you. And we're the ones that you want to use to help them see your love for them. And then, God, we've got friends who are spiritually disconnected and they don't know it because their marriage is good. They enjoy their job. They like their life. And yet they have no clue that they need you. And God, we just ask that you would open their eyes to the truth of their need for Jesus. God, would you use us? Help us to obey. Help us to be bold. Help us to go in humble confidence. Not because we're so great, but because you're so great. Because, Jesus, you didn't just start with saying that all authority has been given to you. You ended this entire sermon, this passage, by reminding us that you are with us always, even to the end of the age. So that means that no matter where we go, no matter who we talk with, you have not already been there. You are in front of us. You're behind us. You're above us. You're below us. You are surrounding us. And so that's why we can go in confidence that you are at work. And these people that we're sharing this truth with, you love them more than we do. And so Jesus, help us to love like you loved. Help us to live like you lived. And help us to leave behind what you left behind. Because what you left behind were your followers. And we would love nothing more than to have our lives matter so much that what we leave in our wake when our time comes to an end is to know that there are a bunch of people that know you and love you and are following you because of how you used us. So God, help us to put go back in the gospel. Help us to be the people who get out there into our workplaces, into our homes, into our neighborhoods. And we just love people because you love them. Help us to share the gospel through our actions and our words. Help us to go and make disciples. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.